Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hello and welcome to episode 92 of What Most People Think. And I, I'm, I'm not, I think this is the first time I'll have ever recorded this in a place that isn't my house. Well, certainly since lockdown started. I'm in Glasgow, everybody. Is that annoying? Is that triggering to the Scottish people? Glasgow. I, I'm in Glasgow. There are some funny fellows here. I mean, as we all know, if you know this grand union of ours intimately as I do, uh, you'll know there are three separate pronunciations of Glasgow. There's Glasgow, if you're like me. There's Glasgow, if you sort of think you know Glasgow. And then there's Glasgow, if you're really Glaswegian. If you're a proper fucking Ouija, you'd say Glasgow. Okay, Glasgow. You'd drop as many of the vowel sounds out of your mouth as possible. Okay, enough wee willy, <laughs> wee willy, no, groundsman willy uh, impressions. Are you looking forward to the 21st of June? Evidently, a scientist has said there could be a possible problem, so we now have to spend ages debating this. And, you know, it, it, like all carrots, you know, people are reluctant to give up the stick. Uh, I got away for a few days recently, and I would say this, I don't know if you've been away, but having, I'm, I mentioned in last week's podcast about being one of the pricks that books it's just a massive ball ache. I've lost my I've lost my confidence in terms of walking into places and just even in a Costa, I'm expecting someone come up to me and go, "Have you booked sir?" In that slightly shit eating. Does anyone else get that impression? Sorry, so have you booked? Because you know everyone books now, and we're important. This is something we'll have to explain to kids in the future if capacities remain like this. You go, well, son. You know, back in the day, restaurants and cafeterias used to be pretty happy that you were there rather than acting like they were doing you a favour. That's what it feels like now. How many of you are there? And you're sort of guilty as you like. You say, oh, there's five. Really sorry for their being. Um, um, we'll see what we can do. You know what? When full lockdown happens, the boot is going to be on the other hand. For it's good. Things are going to change. Things are going to change. But uh, it was nice to get away to the uh, North Norfolk coast. And if you're one of the, uh, I was going to say several people, if you're one of the three people that recognised me up there and said, oh, you must hate this being recognised. No, I don't. Love it. And anyone that says otherwise is a, is a fucking liar. Oh, we've got some new patrons here. We've got a VIP patron, Nicholas Darlison. He sounds like the MP for a new red wall turned blue seat, doesn't he? The MP for... North and Whippet, Nicholas Darlison, spoke to GMB. <laughs> yes, I'm just getting to know the people up here up north, and we have got a lot in common. I mean, we love the Queen, we love the armed forces. I mean, we, we holiday in very different places, but it's good to get to know the locals. Uh, that's not true. That's not true, is it? That one of the reasons why the MPs in uh, Tory MPs have done well up in the north is because they actually come from the area, which is an old-fashioned way of doing things, unlike, as I mentioned in the book. Oh, where do we get to here? Three minutes, and he's mentioned the book about that period where Labour were just parachuting in North London liberals all over the North, and they never thought it would harm them. Amazing. Uh, we also got a belated shout-out for, and this is where somebody is gaming the system here. He's put his company name in, I think. So I'm going to say it. You've gamed the system. Fair enough. It's a loophole. You know, it's like, it's like tax avoidance, isn't it? If it's legal, it's legal. Uh, CS Services supports all your needs. So if you, want to, if you want to now Google CS services to find out what they are or what they do, but they support all your needs, sexual, 
psychological. CS service. I was going to say kinky shit. It stands for kinky shit. But that would be that would be okay. But then modern businesses do that, don't they? They go, do, do you know kinky? We, we spell it with a C. That's our, that's our thing. And Oliver Mills, who hadn't had his shout-out, a belated shout-out. We're trying to do catch up on some of these. And he said, oh, I haven't had my shout-out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to apologise, but then also take the piss. Oh, I want my shout-out. But you are, you are entitled to it. So there it is, Oliver Mills. Eh, that's, a, that's a good English name there. Oliver Mills. One of the Mills clan of Haley and the weird guy that was in Kulashaker. Remember that? He got, didn't he get cancelled? Wasn't he one of the first to get cancelled for being into some weird... There was a swash sticker in a music video. Allegedly. I don't know. I'm just making shit up. Uh, speaking of swear words, cuss count for last week. It was a steady week. Steady week. 0.63. And I'd actually reduced the fucking count, which I think had got out of hand. There was one recently that was 63. I, I do think swearing is big and clever. I think that there is a limit. Uh, two cricket references. And as the cricket... See- oh, my God. I've just realised it's Wednesday day. I'm sitting here doing a podcast when there's cricket on. You- that is how much I love this podcast. Oh, my God. How have I missed that? Should plan my time better. Um, so, coming up, we're going to have a big... <laughs> you can tell that my brain is now in the cricket. What's happening? Are we taking early wickets? Oh, we bowled early. I love it. It'll be W appeals. Uh, coming up, we're going to have a just quick reaction to the Keir Starmer interview. Keir Starmer, you know, said I make up Keir's Morgan. Piers and Keirs. Why didn't they call it that? Keirs and Piers. <laughs> they're having a chat show when Starmer inv- inevitably gets ousted from the job by the hard left they'll both have a show together won't they on talk radio Keirs and Piers uh, we've got an interview today the founder co-founder of Trigonometry Francis Foster way overdue having him on the show now if you don't know what Trigonometry is then you're not really getting the full experience of what podcasts and YouTube can offer in terms of alternative and comedic political discourse this is an important show uh, Francis Foster put it together with Constantine, a friend of the show, and we finally got him on to talk about all things trigonometry and plenty more besides. So, a thank you first up. Thank you to Weatherspoon's Breakfast. Now, I say this in the midst of yet another... Well, the, the guy who owns Weatherspoon's, the, 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 the elites, they hate him, don't they? They really despise him. And he said something about Britain, that Britain should have a liberal immigration policy. And quite simplistically, I think everyone's gone, well... What, you mean like we have with the EU? Go, no, there were lots of Brexiteers in the past that said that they believed in a liberal immigration policy that just it should be decided from this country rather than the EU. So what he said isn't exactly paradoxical, but of course they've seized on it. You know, in the same way that they'll find one fucking fisherman from Cornwall who said, oh, I've, I voted leave and now I as well regretful. And then they'll share that four million times and then once again claim that it's the fisherman that they feel sorry for. But what they're really saying is, I was right. Do you know I was right? Look at this. This, this one person here, this, this clip, this person, me, me, me right. Well, you know, there are certainly signs that the economy uh, in terms of export of services took a hit after we voted to leave. But equally, as we talk... You know, things are looking good economically. The house house market's motoring, which is always a bit of a, you know, never sure if that's entirely the best thing in the world. Or I do have a house, so fuck everyone. But no, seriously, I, I, just, I just don't know how far it can go in that direction. But manufacturing is uh, the Purchasing Managers Index. I never knew any of this shit until Brexit, by the way, but it's up at 65. And anything above 50 means we're having good times. But anyway, I mentioned, because I'm going to mention, just to run contrary, I'm going to say thank you, Tim Weatherspoons. I don't know his surname. Uh, I want to thank you for the Weatherspoons breakfast. While we were away, we were having a lot of trouble finding somewhere just to have a breakfast. It's not it's not as simple as it was back in the day. And we had to drive to Fakenham, one of those weird North Norfolk towns. But just such a such a great experience at the Weatherspoons. It was, uh, I'm not, sp- this isn't sponsored, by the way, but I, I think, I would think I would be fairly on brand, right? Um... I'm sort of like the next generation of guys that will sit and nurse a pint in Weatherspoons for an entire day. That's who they should be aiming at, Norcott. And if he puts on a bit of timber, he can do the Giacomo. But we just had a great... And it was like 21 quid. And then there was somewhere else we went for breakfast, and it was all a bit funky. And I'm going to come on to this now as the fuck you is... I'm going back to this theme of restaurant owners making you feel like they're doing you a favour. We we had this one place at breakfast at this one place, and the food wasn't even that amazing, but it was all funky and artisan and all this bollocks, and they had a queuing system, and they'll shout out your name, and there was way too many people working there, all getting in the way. And I had to sit down before I could order because I was waiting for relatives, right? 
So he said, but but you have to order before you sit down. I was like, well, I don't know, I don't know what they want. <laughs> but but can't you just guess? Not really. Okay, can I just sit down and then come back and order? So he's clearly pissed off about this. He's like, okay, okay, just sit there and come back in when you need to. Yeah, that's what I just said I was going to do, mate. So that's what I'm going to do. I come back in and he was going, he said to me, he goes, okay, if you could just stand in that corner and then uh, my assistant Tia will manage this situation for you. Situation? Manage? What has happened to this country? Eh? I don't need to be managed to get a fucking bacon roll on a Saturday morning. Okay, so as I said, coming up, we will be chatting with Francis Foster. But let's just have a quick political catch-up before we get into the discussion with Francis. All right, so there was there was an interview last night with uh, Piers and Keirs. Piers and <laughs> the old double act, back together again. Um and Starmer, basically, you know, there was a lot of PR about this. Starmer is desperate for PR at the moment. Just so people know who he is and what he's about. Because there's a lot of people around Starmer that sort of think, if people know more about Keir, he'll, he'll be more popular because he's a good man and he's a decent man. And in the interview, there was, there was a really touching bit where he spoke about his mum, you know, like uh, uh, the disease, the complaint that she had meant that she couldn't communicate towards the end. And uh, I can imagine, you know, how, how tough that was. And he emoted on television, right? And I think it was totally sincere. That's what Piers Morgan wanted, wasn't it? He was going, can I make this prick cry? That must be like the bottom line for any of his interviews. Can I make him cry or can I make him storm off? That might be, that, that's probably like the two top objectives for any interview that Piers Morgan does. And, you know, so it was seen as a good thing that he emoted. And then I thought, you know, the most popular politician in this country for some time He's Boris Johnson, right? I know the people that hate him really hate him, but in terms of broad popularity, he has it. And he he doesn't really... You don't really know much about Boris Johnson at the end of the day, do you? I mean, I know like, I know the stereotypes about him and stuff, but a lot of his politics are at odds with the sort of populist or, you know, people call him a Trumpian figure. And I've been accused of quite recently of, of, of bashing Boris quite a lot, all right? But, you know, I often acknowledge... His strengths are, and maybe they're not as much of a mistake as I think they are, is that that he doesn't do that. He's a very, uh, in his own weird way, he's very guarded. Like the caricature he has of himself is quite superficial. And we don't really know. I've never really seen a chat with Boris Johnson where I felt like the real bloke has been speaking. And and on the other hand, Keir Starmer would try to be as human as possible. I do, I just worry... I wonder whether or not... It doesn't really matter what he does at the moment, Okay, On paper, he should be a good leader for the Labour Party right now. On paper, you know, he's got a quasi-Blairite feel about him, you know, steady steady hands. He can legitimately say that he was tough on crime. He was the... uh, It's one of the main reasons that the hard left in the Labour Party liked him because he sort of... (laughs) sort of believed in the law and that, you know that people should face the full force of law if they do bad stuff. You know, very controversial ideas on the modern left there. Um, so he's got, the, he's got the credentials, but you just think, is it his time? Because one thing is, maybe that's the problem. Maybe he is nice. Yeah, he's a lovely bloke. But he's what the Labour Party needs right now, a lovely bloke. Because what really needs to happen to party in the party is somebody needs to bang their heads together, right? Someone needs to say, right, momentum, the hard left, you're fucking things up, all right? Okay, some of that stuff that you want to do, we want to do too. But the message that you give out of the party is really massively alienating. So if you could just fall back a little bit, let us do what needs to be done, and then we'll see if some of your agenda could be incorporated. Either that or you can piss off and form your own party, right? Now, you can imagine that. Imagine that as a speech. (laughs) That'd be my uh, equivalent of Kinnock's speech to the militants in 85. Either that or you can piss off and join your own party. (laughs) Because he, he was coy around the issue of drug taking. What, what's the point in that? What is the point in that? He said, um, yeah, well, I had a good time at university. Did you take drugs? I had a good time at university. But just, just say it then, mate. You're so close to saying it. Just say it. Be really specific. Go, yeah, yeah, I smashed the weed for the first two years. And then, um, you know, year three come around. I thought I'd better knuckle down a bit. Did a bit of whiz, uh, and pills weren't really my thing. And yeah, of course I've tried gear. I work in London, I live in London, but it just makes me paranoid. <laughs> Is there, will there ever come a time when when a politician can speak in this way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did try gear actually. Yeah, so it's, it's all right, but do you know what I mean? It's a bit too Moorish. 
So, you know, he's up against other things as well. One of the things that I've been stressing on this podcast, which doesn't get much coverage, is that the, the Labour Party are facing the issue that some of the old narratives about the Tories just don't play out, especially since the, the Tories paid people's wages, millions of people's wages. No one expected that. I keep banging this drum to anybody in the political class who wants to talk about the psychological effect of, of that on the wider electorate. And, you know, they protected the NHS. As I've acknowledged, maybe it was underinvested going into it, but certainly it's been prioritised, probably to a fault, um, <laughs> during the process of the pandemic. And, you know, I've got, I got friends in my group, you know, but they, Thatcher's name still comes up and stuff. And for my whole life, Thatcher's been an issue. Remember what Thatcher did? And I, I think they've got to move on for that. I don't think the wider public are really thinking about Maggie Thatcher that much anymore. Because she's seen as a sign of, if you let the Tories in power, this is the sort of stuff that they will do. But if anything, the reason she was a remarkable, notable leader was because she was unlike Conservatives, right? She was radical. Conservatives about, you know, sort of conservative things, what it used to be anyway. You know, steady as she goes, take things easy, you know, progress sort of evolution, not revolution, literally, when compared to the left. But it's a long time since Margaret Thatcher was in power now. She was in power in 1990. Uh, she left office in late 1990. So it's 31 years, right? So she became leader, was it 75? And the Second World War finished in 45. So she... Was as when she became leader, this country was as far from the end of the Second World War, as other people love doing these sort of comparisons now, as we are from when she left office. So I really do think that for all the things that Starmer can do, all the sense that he can talk, he is up against some serious headwinds of one, that he's not that charismatic, two, that the public have changed their view on the Conservatives, three, that the left has been redefined by as a consequence of the, the actions of the progressive left. So the political left has been redefined. And the other one is that Andy Burnham should be leader. Quite obviously. I mean, it's just that is the next guy. I mean, it, maybe they just want to leave it a while till he loses an election, but that'll be five on the bounce. But if you think about a Labour front bench of this, Andy Burnham as leader, okay? Strong communicator, great eyelashes. Um, Starmer as shadow home secretary. That's probably his natural place, slotting in on the centre-left. Um, then you'd probably want... Who else would you want? I mean, Yvette, Jess, Jess, Philip, Jess, Phillips. Okay. I'd just like to invite everybody to come around my way, okay? Have a couple of pot noodles and some yum-yums. <laughs> Jess Phillips would be good. Yeah, but this is the kind of, like, Labour front bench I would like. I'm sure that the left don't want this. But, the, you know, all the evidence suggests, you know, as my book suggests, second mention of the book... That the kind of Labour Party I would like is the kind of party that most of the country would need to see for them to have any chance of winning a majority. OK, let's have a chat with the one and only Francis Foster. OK, welcome for his first appearance on what most people think it is Francis Foster. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well. I'm very well. I am conscious early on that... I don't know, are our voices going to be too similar? <laughs> yeah, that is a problem. Well, we grew up literally around the corner from each other. We did. We, where, where did you grow up again? I grew up in a, in a rather glamorous part of South London called Motspur Park. Motspur Park. Okay, well, those, those that's fucking leafy suburbs to me, mate. I was in... <laughs> I was, on the border, I was on the border of Wandsworth. I just don't mention that it was Wimbledon because evidently... There's no working class credibility that goes with that. But you, you grew up as a proper South London boy, born and bred. Exactly. Is there exactly. anyone that's just born and not bred or bred but not born? No, 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 no. If you're born in South London, mate, you're born and you're bred. You know what I mean? You get your boxer dog called Tyson before yeah. you can walk. You walk it round, chain round the neck, staring at people, naff, naff jackets, undercuts. We're and, all getting now, very niche now. As people, I am sure that people will know who you are as the co-founder and co-host of Trigonometry. How, how would you describe what trigonometry is in a nutshell? Well, trigonometry in a nutshell, to the vast majority of people, it's putting, it's getting people from across the political spectrum to sit down and having a chat about the hot button issues of the day. Uh, to people in the centre, on the right, or centre-left, it's, I would say, centrist slash libertarian podcast in terms of its ideals. Uh, to people on the far left, I'm a rabid right-wing Nazi. 
Uh, but you are, or certainly you identified as mm. for a long time, a, a left winger. Is that is that still the case? Oh, no, mate. I've been kicked out of that group a long time ago, <laughs> Jeff. I was there all smug. I'm like, I'm a former, I'm a teacher. Do you know what I mean? I'm mm. working with deprived kids. Look how, look, at, look how smug and liberal I am. But then yeah. you know what it's like. You say the wrong thing on a couple of different issues and then out your door, out, you're out in your ear, aren't you? So you are, I mean, let's just talk about trigonometry. Which year did it start? Well, we started it in 2018, April 2018. So it's been going just over three years now, which feels weird. It feels like it's been going a lot longer and a lot shorter at the same Yeah, because that has gone over quite a long period in terms of a lot's happened. There's been like a general election, Brexit's happened, we've had a mm. coronavirus. And it's been massively successful. It's got you know well over 250,000 subscribers on mm. YouTube. And if people don't understand the YouTube game, that is hard. Like it is yeah. really hard to get views. and you Because the thing is, YouTube are probably the only social media platform that actually where a view means a view. Yeah. Yeah, it you know we it's it's interesting with YouTube because like you put content out and you think this is going to be great, everyone's going to love this, and they don't. And then you put something out and you think, well, this isn't going to get a lot. And then you know it develops tra you know traction, and then certain things happen. And then if something is happening in the news at a particular time, like your episode, it's doing great. It's on about seventy thousand views now. Yeah, whereas where I was on it previously, it did it did okay, but it never yeah. really caught for. But there's something in it. Maybe you know it's the title you give it, like the title that you gave my most recent appearance, uh, which I would advise everybody to go and check out, and all the other stuff there. It was why Labour keep losing. Is yeah. does it sometimes just come down to the titles? Yeah, it, it it comes down to how much you can piss people off. Yeah. But no, <laughs> it's also as well, like because you know. It, the, the day that we interviewed you, was it the day after the Hartlepool by-election? It was two days afterwards. It yeah. Was, yeah. And then we released it on the Wednesday, and obviously Labour in complete disarray, and doing what Labour did, they just buried their head further in the sand. And yeah. as a result, you know, what we were talking about was very topical at the time. But also, as well, look, it's not just the fact that it was topical, it was also that it was a good episode, people really enjoyed it. And people who watched it, even people from the left, would just, you know, would have enjoyed it. I mean, not a certain segment of them. They would have been absolutely furious. But the vast majority of them. The, yeah, the segment of the left that, you know, wants to win a, an election ever again. <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, like, you were, at the, you were at the start of a curve. That's what I always say, social media podcasts mm. or something. You were starting to question certain liberal orthodoxies well before. I mean, now there's quite a lot of people doing it. So... Mm. When you think back as what made you do that, was that something you really thought long and hard about or was it more simple than that? Or, or were you like, no, there's going to be a pushback on some of these things from also people on the left and we want to be on it? Well, it, when we started out, like, Constantine went, do you want to do a, a chat, uh, an interview show which is politically based? And I was like, yeah, why not? And he went, I'm going to warn you in advance, people are going to get very, very angry with you and you're going to lose friends. And I was like, what are you talking about, you idiot? Right, because what I never realised is the moment you talk to someone with different political views, all of a mm. sudden, because you interview them, suddenly you espouse their views, which is bizarre. But going back to, you know, I think it all comes down to Brexit, really, Jeff, because my dad voted Brexit. And there was a narrative, particularly in our industry, that if you vote Brexit, you're a thick, right, racist, stupid right winger who just wants to kick every foreigner out of this country. And my dad voted Brexit, and my dad's a white working-class bloke from the north of England, and he married a first-generation immigrant who was from South America, right? Mm. And, I, and then my dad... And I remember my dad explaining his reasons for voting Brexit, and then suddenly seeing this narrative, which had been propagated, particularly in our industry, going, there's something not... This doesn't mm. fit. There's something awry here. There's something that's not quite meshing. And so we try to find out why is it that people voted Brexit? What were the reasons behind it? What, 52% what, of the country are racist? Come on. And then from there, it just started out. And then we slowly started, you know, talking about different issues. And then you realise more and more that we're all in our own echo chambers. And actually, what we need to do is listen to the opposite side. And I think the reason that people don't listen to the opposite side of any argument is they don't want to actually be exposed to arguments they potentially might agree with and they might actually change their mind. 
I don't think that's that's true. Actually, I I think that a lot of human beings have a narrative, right? Mm. We know this from within families. You know, you got that uh, that bitter uncle of yours, and his bitterness is the only way that he <laughs> energizes himself. He doesn't know another way of being. You know, yeah. or you got a, a member of the family that feels disinherited or something. You know, it becomes fundamental to their narrative, and I do think that that started to happen politically, whereby if people find something that's a genuine challenge to their way of thinking, they can almost act like an animal cornered because it sort of, it threatens their whole paradigm. Mm. Right. And, and, you know, in terms of left and right wing politics in this country, we've had two massive changes in the left and right paradigm. You know, one was the, the fault line of Brexit and the second is the migration of working class voters to labor but people are still ignoring the evidence staring them in the face. Why, why do you think that is? I think it's because it's what we go back to. It's very, very difficult to change your mind or admit that you were wrong. You know, because the easiest thing to do is just to double down and just not actually question what you're doing. It's like you see those people, you know, who, who you know, they're not having a good time in their personal life, maybe with relationships. Mm. And they do always date the same dickhead. And you're going, mate, it's just a different dickhead with the same clothes, yeah. with different clothes. And the reason is, is because we don't like interrogating our viewpoints because it could mean that we're wrong. And when we find out that what we believe is wrong, it affects the way we see the world. And actually, that's quite painful. It's quite yeah. painful to go, you know what? I got this wrong. The way I saw this was actually completely incorrect. And also as well, there's another thing, because we're more tribal than ever before, all of a sudden, like, if you go, well, look, I didn't vote Brexit, which I didn't. I'm a good person. There we go. Because uh, <laughs> you did the research, okay? Yeah, exactly, mate. Because but... I read newspapers. Because <laughs> I read The Guardian, aka. But no, um, but the moment you start questioning people's narratives... Mm. is the moment you start find yourself, number one, being alienated, and number two, losing friends. You, I mean, what you mentioned there, I think is a great analogy about people dating dickheads, because I've yeah. often thought that was a great example for the absolute core of personal responsibility. I used to have a routine in it, yeah. which was where women say, oh, I just, you know, I'm unlucky with men. You go, no, you're not. You keep dating <laughs> blokes who've just got out of prison. <laughs> like, that's not bad luck. And, and, and you're the only common factor... Yeah. In all the, all of those bad relationships, you know, the only person that was in all of them was fucking you. Now, nothing excuses a man being abusive physically or mentally, mm. but there comes a point if something keeps happening where you have to ask what because and I see that as it's not victim blaming to me. That's liberating because yeah. then you go right. I know what it is I'm doing wrong. There's some sort of chance I could change this, but and this is where and I'm trying to link this to the overall narrative mm. is you know with the left and the Labour Party, the narrative does seem to be kind of you're a victim but that that's not a good place to that's not a good way to think of yourself is it you know not many people want to think of themselves as victims the problem is is that look whatever you you project into the world will ultimately become reality so if you go out in the world and you see yourself as a victim and all you see you know everybody's out to get you then you know what that's the energy you're going to put out and that's what's going to come back at you that's a real issue. I just think it's really disempowering to tell people that, you know, that they're victims, that they're never going to achieve anything, you know, that society's biased against you because of your background, age, race, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that's not to say that racism doesn't exist, that, you know, class bias exists, all these things exist. Of course I do. But you know what? If you just sit there and go, well, I'm not going to achieve anything because of all these things, well, then you're fucked anyway, aren't you? What's the point? Yeah. What's the point? So I think the reason why working-class people, a lot of them vote Tory, is you get someone coming in going, well, you know what? You know, you can achieve it. It's up to you. It's far yeah, more I... aspirational. Most people want to want to improve their lives themselves. They want to achieve something for themselves. They don't want to get it handed to them. They just don't, because it doesn't feel like you've earned it. It doesn't feel like you've actually achieved something. And... I think a lot of people are just sick and tired of people going to them and just going, you're oppressed, you're this, you're that, you're all the rest of it. doesn't matter what you are, black, white, straight. You just want to live your life and mm. you just want to get on with your life. And all people want is a fair shot at it. That's it. 
And if you, if, you, if you have that attitude, you're far more likely to get ahead than go, well, the world's against me. I mean, in terms of, like, subjects, I mean, we're talking now about the, the state of play of the left and the right. And I think at yeah. the moment, there's quite a lot of the left that are now open to hearing about these problems and finally taking them on. Not enough, but you're yeah. starting to have a bit more of an open ear. There are other subjects which are trickier to mm. broach. I mean, obviously, on the show, you've had quite a few guests talking about... Uh, trans issues and you've mm. had uh, transsexual individuals on mm. who probably have adopted lines that would surprise people you just give us an example of, of some of the guests that you've had recently and things that they've said that have surprised you well we've had like for instance we had uh, Debbie Hayton on who is a transgender woman gender, gender woman who's a trade unionist actually and a teacher and she was talking about the issue of pronouns, and she was saying, "Look, I mean, know, that, that's got... a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good criteria for being left wing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Transgender union teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it turns out not. Apparently, she's on the right, right? Because wow. she said, look, she's talking about the issue of pronouns, and not the only one to talk about it. Go look. If someone misgenders me, it's rude, but it's not the end of the world. Mm. It's not the end of the world. We've got to stop pretending it is. We've got to stop pretending, you know that." You know, that is an act of aggression or whatever else. Ultimately, you live in a free society and people have the right to think what they think. And if, you know, they don't, you know, they're going to address you by, you know, your former sex or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, then ultimately it's their right. You know, you could say it's impolite, it's not particularly kind, and you might have an argument on both cases, but it doesn't mean that that person should be compelled to do it. I think that's the problem here. And that's why Jordan, Jordan Peterson became massive is because he went, look, I've got no problem with addressing people by their chosen pronouns if they want. What I don't want is it, it being compelled speech and being enshrined in law. That's the mm. moment when things start getting really tricky. What most people think. You know that my pronouns are, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's one of these things that appears a lot in the culture wars. And I suspect even outside of, you know, social media, this doesn't come up as much, but I am fascinated by what was the original purpose of it is if you tell someone what your pronouns are is that designed to be an assistance mm. to them in in not getting it wrong was that the original reason for that i see i, I think so but then again i don't know the things that i find baffling are people who put their pronouns in their bio do you know what I mean on Twitter? And it's just like, mate, your name's Gary. Of course you hear him. Yeah. <laughs> they might be a they. They might be a they them. And, you know, and I think one of the things is, is like, I think most people, right? Okay, you get the occasional dick. I'm not going to fucking do it, whatever it may be. But I think most people realise that when it comes to this particular issue, most people want to just get on with their lives. I remember I had a, um, a transgender lady who, who did our, our Edinburgh show a couple of years ago. And, she, you know, it was, it was obvious that this was a person who was transitioning from male to female. And mm. they said, like, I want, I'm Alice or whatever. And it's like, all oh, right, Alice, there you go. And I never thought about it again. Do you see what I mean? I mm. sometimes think that actually the real victim of all these shenanigans are trans people because all of a sudden their very existence becomes politicised when the vast yeah. majority of them, right, they have gender dysphoria, they want to transition, and then they want to get on with their lives, whether, you know, whether they're an accountant, a teacher, or whatever it may be. And actually, you go, do, you know, does all this bollocks actually help them? And you think, well, probably not, if I'm being honest. Well, one of the things that comes up often in this debate is when you look at uh, people, you know, trans Trans is it sexual when you fully transition physically or trans? Oh, no, no. I I think I've got <laughs> two gammons getting it wrong. Um, so as we're talking today, one of the governors in the states has, mm. has sort of ruled against transgender women taking part in sport. And you know, mm. there's this issue of younger people who they get changed with. Now, I guess the progressive left would say this isn't the big deal of life. You know, very small yeah. amount of people compete in sport at that level and getting changed and what toilets we use, but. I suppose, you know, whenever something is changing, it's often the exceptions that are focused upon. So, for example, this is a really bizarre example, but something like Universal Credit. If the Daily Mirror are going to run a story, it will be about, you know, that awful example of the person whose claim got processed the wrong way. You know, mm. if there's a new law coming, it will be about the things that you're trying to iron out in the process of getting it right. So, on the one hand, I sort of agree 
that this isn't, you know, for the vast amount of transgender people, this is a small part of the life that they want to live. But I also think that as things are changing in society, you need to get to grips with these things. And and it's really strange, Francis, because I speak to like very left-wing people, very progressive people. And, you know, one of the things I've said to them is, right, if you believe in self-identification, okay, you've got 12-year-old daughter who's in a class, would you be happy with her changing with somebody who was until recently a boy and has self-ID'd as a girl? And without fail, they're all like, fuck that, you know, yeah. don't quote me on it is what they say, but fuck that. But but this is, you know, the thing that I find very, very worrying about all these different issues is that people who have got very normal, sensible, rational views now no longer feel that they can express them. I get people messaging me on Twitter and whatever else, you know, and this is comedians, and some of them are in the public, I'm whatever else, dying. Oh, you know, thanks for triggering on with you. I'm glad that you're saying what, you know, that you're saying what you're saying. I can't say it because I'd be cancelled and all the rest of it. And you go like, you know, especially the thing with, you know, kids transitioning, like we were former teachers. We know that kids, especially prepubescent kids, have got no concept when it comes to consequences. They just don't, right? Mm. That's a, that is a psychological fact, okay? And, you know, we, we go, right, well, we're going to put them on puberty blockers or whatever else. And you go, are you fucking mental? You know, how many times when you were teaching did you did an 11-year-old do something and did you saw the teacher go to the kid, why did you kick or punch somebody in the head? And they'll just shrug their shoulders because they've got no idea why they've I, done I it. I think that, you know, part of the state of, of childhood is, is, that, is that somebody else is taking decisions upon your behalf. Now, it's happening in lots of different areas when yeah. you're a kid. So when it comes to, to medication that will fundamentally change you at a very sensitive period of your life. I, I find, you know, I realise it's contentious, but in terms of young children, and I don't know, you know, what's the youngest age that they've been prescribed, but I certainly feel like you are still working yourself out a lot of that age. Now, the counter argument that we put to that is that rates of self-harm and suicide are very high at that age among people that have gender dysphoria, and I totally accept that, but... It doesn't end the conversation, though, does it? It doesn't change the fact that that's still a delicate time in your life where you're still working out who you are. Of course it is, you know. And one of the things that we need to accept is as an adult, you need to make the best decision for a child. And the reality is, is the reason these children don't make these type of decisions is because they are not equipped. They cannot make those choices. It is simple mm -hmm. as that. Why do, why do we not allow children to drink, have sex, or whatever else? It's because they can't consent. They are not mm. able to consent. So if we have those laws put in quite rightly, then why is it all of a sudden that we give, you know, that we say it's fine to give puberty blockers? Look, you, if somebody wants puberty... to transition at the age of 18 when they're an adult, then that is their choice as an adult and they should be supported and whatever mm. else, right? But when it comes to them as a child not being in full control, you know, fully cognizant or in, and you know not fully mature, then I think it's wrong. And I, and I just say this to people, you know, and people, you know, will have a debate about me. But you always think, would you like it to happen to your kid? If I, I mean, yeah, I suppose the question would be is if you're in a couple and you know, one parent, because then that would be a situation where you weren't fully in, in control. You know, if you saw mm. that happening to your kid and you felt it was too soon for them, if you were out of control of that, mm. I guess the other side of it, you know, is, is if you're a parent, you could see that your child was traumatised by this gender dysphoria. Maybe, you know, there is another side as a parent that comes in where you would do anything to stop them suffering, mm. right? So maybe I'm trying, I'm just trying to be open-minded and think, where does this come from? But one thing I would say is the, the actions of a parent in projecting their child aren't always the rational actions that we need to judge laws off. Because mm. <laughs> if you think about what I would do for my kid, just to make sure that he was fully happy in life... I mean, I'll fucking I, I, kill for them, mate. I'll kill for yeah, my kid. I'd, I'd kill a fucking <laughs> soft play area. Do you know what I mean? If, <laughs> if, they, if, they were, if they were not giving my kid the fair share of time on the, on the in the ball pool... It's weird, isn't it? Because we're talking, we're, we're both being careful here about what we say yeah. a little bit. You know, yeah. I mean, we're we're seen in some quarters as edgy or a bit fearless sometimes. We're still checking ourselves. What is it that we? Because I'm I'm worried about reactions to this kind of conversation. What is it we're worried about? What what's going to go wrong? 
Okay. Because so they, they would say, of... well, cancel culture is not a thing because hardly anyone gets cancelled. So why are we checking ourselves? We're checking ourselves because cancel culture does exist, Jeff, and we both know that, right? So we saw recently, well, I don't know if you were aware of that. I'm not going to say the comedian's name because, you know, it, well, he made it public. But anyway, he did a joke on a podcast. He had a book deal, a literary agent, got cancelled, dropped overnight because he made a joke on a podcast. I, I, I can bleep this out if you want, but I don't know who this is. But uh, This is a, yeah, so it's a comedian called... I, I didn't yeah. know that had happened to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had look, and I may have got it slightly wrong. I may no, no. Not... I can drop out. I can drop out the name. Yeah. So, and he made a joke on a podcast. Bam! All of a sudden, his literary agent dropped him like a stone. You know, the reality is, you know, for especially you know for comedians who want to do slightly more transgressive, want to do more edgy humour. When it comes to things like these conversations or jokes, there is an element of good faith, right? I've got mm. to know that you're acting good faith. You've got to know that I'm acting in good faith. I can, you know, I can say something that can be inarticulate. Something can be taken out of context. And before you know it, people then try and pile in and get someone cancelled. So, for instance, when when we 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 got signed uh, to a particularly uh, well-known and large comedy agency, mm. there were a group of comedians talking in a public forum about trying to get us cancelled from the agency. And, and so just for a bit of context, so this agency represent what, you know, a few household names, a lot of people yeah. just below that level who do telly, you know, and, and, and it's a well-known, well-established comedy agent. Yeah. You, you got signed to them, which was fantastic success. Yeah. And then comedians were basically feeling what the, that that shouldn't be happening or that shouldn't be happening it was unacceptable and they were talking in on facebook about lobbying the more powerful larger agent larger comedians in order to pressure our agent to drop us uh, but i also think as well it's you know people and it goes back to this narrative you know, it goes back to thinking that people have the right opinions and the wrong opinions. And if you have the wrong opinions, you are quite literally, you know, beyond the pale. You need cancelling. You need getting rid of because these opinions, they're dangerous. And if you tell them to other people, people are so stupid. They will just soak it up like a sponge unquestioningly. And before you know it, you'll wake up and you're in the Third Reich. They're obsessed with the Third Reich. Yeah, they? they fucking love it. They, do you think that there's a part of them wants a bit of Third Reich action? I think like, they do, mate. You I know when they... you know when people are being coquettish <laughs> and they go, "Oh, it'd be terrible. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I, I dread to think what it would be like." There, there is a, a, a morbid fascination, and it, it does come down to a slight political bias. Is that you know, given that the Soviet Union under Stalin was every bit well, more so, more murderous, more mm. censorious. You know, same sort of like secret police, same interventions on people's yeah. civil liberties. It never ever gets used as the example. Ever gets used of like you know, it's always the Gestapo, never the KGB. Yeah, no, and look, but you also see it like I think on Politics Weekly, the old Andrew uh, Neil show that got cancelled. You had um, what's her face, uh, Diane Abbott, who went on there, and then she said like you know she was out you know talking about Chairman Mao in positive terms. You've got Ash Sharkar going on GMB, going I'm quite literally a communist. My mum is from a communist country. Let me tell you, mm. if you step out of line and you say the wrong thing, those boys don't fuck about. Okay, I hope you're enjoying the chat with Francis. I know I am. It sounded creepy, didn't it? Mmm, nice boy. Do people even say that anymore? Very nice boy. Was that like, what was that? Was that some homophobic trope from when I was a kid? Anyway, um, VIP, no, not VIP, £5 Patreons. £5 Patreons. We've got David Steed. Steed. You noble Steed. There you go. Second out in for the donkey impression. We can stay up late. We can swap manly stories. And in the morning, I'm making waffles. We've got Graham Anstey. Anstey? Anstey. Graham Ansey. Oh, he's a bit antsy. I know you've had that joke your whole life, Graham, but 
as a comic, I like to go for the jugular. Graham Anstey. Mm, he's a bit Anstey. I'm going to keep doing it just to be annoying. And we got Rob. So as ever, one, one word names, no surname. That means Rob is working in an institution where he can't be out here. There's a centre-right diabolical being that he is. Damn you, Rob, <laughs> with your centre-right fascism. I know where you work, Rob. Probably a primary school. That's what I'm thinking. Rob works, and he sits there in the eighty-five percent female staff. He sits in that fucking staff room, and he hears on me, me, me. He hears more, <laughs> all going on. You know, wanting a strike, wanting more pay, and he's sitting there with his thoughts about fiscal prudence and the fact that maybe teachers do sometimes need to be at work a bit of extra time for the kids. But he doesn't say anything, does he? He goes along with it. He's even been there on a picket line. <laughs> I might be miles out. You can message me individually, Rob. That's one of the things about the Patreon, is you can message me through the site. I will always read it. It might take me a little while to get to it, and in 90% of cases, I will respond. So, so you, Rob, you can tell me what job you do, but I promise I will not out you uh, on the podcast. And again, just in terms of hyping, I know there was a push of a sponsored promo for the tour uh, weekend, which always gets me some fascinating reactions from the great British public. Uh, Tory twat. What was it? One of them said, I'm the comedy, comedy version of Rod Liddell. Um, you know, fair enough. I'll take that. Um, but the tour is coming up and it's selling well. So get in there. I blame the parents this September all over England and hopefully doing a a, um, a spring tour next year. I don't know, probably be some new pandemic there. You know, there'll be some fucking disease of the eyes. But as long as you can hear me. Um, and then the book, you know, I know, I know the numbers. Uh, a lot of people have bought the book and I appreciate this. I know... I know how many people listen to the podcast and there's there's some of you out there. Some of you just don't want to buy the book financially, you're not into it, fair enough. But I know there's some of you that you're like me. You thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I must buy that book. And then you haven't bought the book. I go, oh, yeah, he's mentioned that book here. I, I actually want to read that book and you just don't do it. And, and you're lazy like me. But maybe this is the time to do it because it's running at an average five-star rating uh, on Amazon. And that is thanks to all you good, good people. Honestly, the, the reviews there, you've literally helped me sell more books and push forward my nasty brand of me, me and Rob with our nasty brand of centre-right liberal fascism. Most people Speaking about, like, you know, controversial guests that you've had on the show, has yeah. there ever been one that made you worried in advance, where you thought, oh, we're going to get one for this? I suppose yeah. there's probably been a few. There's, there's been quite a few. There's been quite a few. I mean, the one we did with Posey Parker, who's a gender-critical feminist, another term for it is, is TERF, right? Mm. Trans-exclusionary radical feminist. You know, she just came on and was basically like, well, trans women are men. And just and just said it like that. And I remember if you, if you, if people haven't seen the interview, right, go and watch it. It's basically an hour of Posey saying, you know, very controversial things and me looking around like a dying goldfish and blowing out my cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> That's and all you, that well, it was. What, what is your options? I mean, like... Do you, do you ever edit or, or, I mean, is that, is, do you ever edit anything? No. What we do is, we, is, right, we record the interview and then we let the, let the guest watch it and then if the guest wants something taken out, then we'll take it out. Also as well, if they've said something that has been expressed something clumsily, incoherently, or can be taken out of context, we mm. will take it out. Because what we don't want is, you know, like, for instance, we've had Lawrence Fox on twice. What happened to Lawrence when he went on a, a podcast where he said something about um, uh, the film 1917 and Sikh soldiers? Now, I know what Lawrence was trying to say. Mm. By having one Sikh soldier in there, it appeared tokenistic because reality was that's not how the, the war was fought. You had Sikh soldiers who fought in the war, but they were in battalions. Yeah. It was very rare that you know they had the, the 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 Sikh soldiers and the British soldiers mixed, for instance, right? And they certainly mm. wouldn't be there just one mixed in with with a range of other soldiers. But because he said it in a way that was in a way that was clumsy, which let's be fair, we all do. All mm. of a sudden, you know, it was used. He's a racist and all the rest of it. So we try and look after our guests as well. If they say something that was incoherent and that can be misconstrued and can get them into trouble. We don't want that, and we'll, 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 we'll take it straight out. But that is, in a way, is it not like a, a consequence of cancel culture? Is it, it just, is, this is what's so smart about it, yeah. is it plants a seed where you are slightly self-editing, where you have to think through the sort of um, the tariff of 
or you know of that joke like what's the is the juice worth the squeeze <laughs> yeah and, and look and that's the thing you know it's that they don't have good intentions and it's context context is everything it's mm. it's everything right and if you decide as you know there was mentioned in a court case with count dankula with, with the you know the, the the nazi pug joke that context doesn't matter then as comedians we're all fucked yeah, so just fun. to refresh people, this was the sort of Scottish YouTuber yeah. who who repeatedly in a routine, I can't remember what the the punchline was. Was it gas? Yeah, right. Gas so, the, so, the, so yeah. So the entire uh, the, this is what the video was about. His girlfriend had a pug who she said was cute, adorable, and lovely, and was the sweetest thing ever created. And in order to prove that it wasn't as sweet as she was saying. He was going to teach it to do an unspeakable act. What's the most unspeakable act that could be done? It's a Nazi salute. And he was going to say the phrase, gas the Jews. The pug was going to do a Nazi salute. You know, hey, presto comedy, right? Yeah. Okay. And, you know, so then he, he, got, he got arrested. He got charged. Under, I can't remember the exact act. And he got taken to court. He was, he was found guilty. And then one of the things uh, the, the judge was saying was in... When discussing the case, was that context is not important. Well, if anybody can judge comedy, <laughs> it's a judge. Yeah, that's what they mean. Exactly. They can judge comedy. They should go yeah. and judge the Edinburgh Comedy Festival Award. Yeah, that. I mean, I you know that video. I I felt watching it. It was very obviously an attempt at edgy comedy, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that when audiences, it was shown to audiences. It certainly seemed that most people got that. One thing I did think, I suppose, was with that phrase is if you have an equivalent phrase mm. that, you know, related to slavery or something like that, yeah. that there would be a very different reaction. And even I, I might have a very different reaction to that. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was the only thing I thought was unusual when, you know, people in the Jewish community were sort of pointing out that. Mm. I do think, yeah, there, there is a double standard here. I mean, you know, getting onto the subject of anti-Semitism generally, mm. the weirdest thing about it, and it is probably the weirdest form of racism, yeah. I think, I mean, it's, it's it's obviously awful, but it's fucking weird as well. Yeah. In that it probably has the most brutal recent example of where it can go. And yet still people don't seem to acknowledge the risks of the rising levels of open anti-Semitism. Why, why do you think that is? Because I'll tell you what it is, is because a lot of this, and it goes back to the term punching up, punching down, which I use in comedy. You should punch up, mm. you shouldn't punch down. Well... You know, people go, oh, it's not that bad a form of racism. You go, why not? And they go, well, you know, Jews are successful, aren't they? They're in charge of the media. They've got loads of money. Look at them. They've got Israel. Israel's oppressing the rest of the Middle East. If we say a few, you know, things, that, you know, below the below the belt, doesn't matter. They're lawyers. Who mm. cares? And it you is. Go, I mean, it just makes it like, it must be really awful to be Jewish, poor, not know anybody in the legal profession, no contacts in the TV industry, do you know what I mean? Like no yeah. relatives in Israel are going to have a, <laughs> a, a holiday. It is so strange, isn't it? That the, the difference between a faith and a nation state mm. is beyond probably people that would act normally act like they were quite up on geopolitical issues. Mm. They just haven't quite worked out the difference between a faith and a country. <laughs> I just, look, and it's really true. And you, but there is a problem on the left with anti-Semitism. And you can't say, you know, and then, you know, you point this out and people get a bit upset. Like we had David Badil on, to, to, on the podcast to talk about this exact thing. And in particular, there's anti-capitalism is intertwined with anti-Semitism. Like you see loads of, you know, anti-capitalist murals. There was one famously that, you know, Corbyn said was, yeah. you know, fine in East London and he gave his approval to, I can't remember the exact story, but anyway. Well, no, no, he, there, he, there was a Facebook post that had the image of... Yeah of a kind of capitalist mural and it had the old racist tropes of hook nose and the usual, you know, the, yeah. And, and, and Corbyn was like, yeah, kind of like, if you like this artist, it was almost like an Amazon. Yeah. Uh, racists who like this also <laughs> liked. <laughs> but you know, see people don't, but I, I think there's a blindness to it. Is it because, is it because Jewish people are seen as white? Is it coming down Francis as something as basic as that? Well, they're not dark skinned, so it can't that. be as bad. I think it's because Jewish people are seen as successful. I mean, it comes to mm. the punching up, punching down thing. If you mm. have a big a bit of a dig at the you know Jewish people, they can handle it. You know, they're all successful. They make tons of money. But 
when you, you know, have a dick a dig at another race or whatever else, they go, oh, leave it out, mate. They're struggling. Jews have seen us fair game for that reason. I think that's the main reason, if I'm being honest. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning this week of all weeks. I don't know if you saw the tweet about the woman that was talking about what you call uh, autumn in different parts of the world. No. Oh, mate, you're going to love this one. Uh, I'm not going to say her name because she's she's sort of made her account private. So obviously, this is the problem with the right sometimes, is people are just fucking mean online. There's no need for yeah. that, but I do think that this is interesting. So I won't say her name, but I'll read the tweet. Uh, she says, a, a teeny tiny inclusive language thing I've tried to get better at this past year is avoiding Nor Northern Hemisphere specific seasonal language. Mm. Uh, like, instead of this summer, I say the month. So quarter three. Like the third quarter, <laughs> because it might be that season for me, but not that season for everybody. <laughs> so I think I think there's an important thing here, Francis. We often talk about, you know, you can never be liberal enough for the woke. Yeah, they are. Not only are they, not only do they devour their own, they're really hard on themselves. Like all Puritanism, yeah. they don't believe they can ever be morally clean. They're probably hardest on themselves. But this is it. You go like, you know, let's be fair. There's a lot going on in the world now. There's mm. a lot. There's a lot of people really suffering. We're in a global pandemic. Businesses but the most important thing, Francis, is what do you call <laughs> summer when you're in a country where it's not summer? That is, if you're not up on that, mate, then you can't call yourself fucking liberal, you know? <laughs> but this is a thing that pisses me off. If you're the left, there's so much for you to, do, to talk about. So much. People are struggling to make ends meet. It seems there's a food bank now, like, you know, popping up on every street corner. You know, the gap between rich and poor has widened hugely. Why don't we talk about that? Let's talk about that. But is it that no one listens? That's the boring stuff, isn't it? Like, we know that that stuff's happening. And by the way, right-wingers listen to this. I will push back. I mean, rich and poor, there is that stat about global, global poverty having halved in the last 20 years that lefties often don't accept. Yeah, of course. Of course, when it comes to global. But I think as well that if you look at our society, right, look, look at something as simple as housing. The younger mm. generation are fucked, aren't they? Mm. Oh, fucked. yeah, I mean, yeah, the house price rises thing is if you've got a property, you sort of think, well, that's nice. But increasingly, I'm thinking, this is, I mean, we've been saying this is unsustainable for a really long time. Yeah. And it's underpinned by the government. All right, let's let's have a dig at the right here. Is the government have fanned the flames of the housing market so many times, so many times? And this isn't capitalism. This is something different because this is like crony capitalism. It's interventionist, isn't it? It's having a monetary policy which almost seems exclusively based around, you know. Uh, Keeping house prices artificially high. Do, do you own a property, Francis? No, 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 I don't. But you're absolutely oh, well, right. Like we had Liam Hannigan on the show, and uh, Liam is a he's a, a right of centre, you know, br uh, mm. Brexit supporting economist, and he's very interesting, Liam. And he wrote a book about the housing crisis, and it, what it comes down to, it was like, look, this isn't capitalism. I'm a fan of capitalism. This is crony capitalism. This is, you know, a few companies. Number one, uh, companies like Persimmon, Persimmon who mm. just control all, practically all, you know, the market. So what they do is they knock up a few houses, and because everybody's so starved of property, they can sell them at huge markups. Yeah. They're not going to act in their own self-interest. The government don't do anything about it, because here's the thing, right? The moment someone gets on the property ladder, they're not going to want to see their home, the value of their home decrease. Do you know what you Who's do? Want you, that? you pull that ladder up, Francis. <laughs> and slowly watch him. And everyone's like, ah, at the bottom, you're like, get fucked. I'm all right, Jack. I mean, yeah, it's all it's all well and good for, for me to be like, oh god, yeah, I do I do worry about this. Do you know what I mean? Says he checking his house price on Zoopla and getting a fucking yeah. sem semi every time I see it's gone up. Oh yeah. I, I worry about these kids, but um, I don't want my house to be worth less. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. They, they, and, that, and do you know what? You can't blame people either. 
Because once they're in the system, they want to then sell, you know, their one bedroom flat in wherever it may be in some shit old part of London for six million quid. So they can then afford a 24 million quid, two up, two down in Walthamstow. 24 million quid, two up, two down in Walthamstow, which I think aptly describes where you boys film uh, <laughs> <laughs> trigonometry. Fine, so we could talk phrases, mate, but I, I just want to get you back on soon and pick up on, on some of these things. Um, obviously, I'll direct people to uh, trigonometry on YouTube or, mm. or on the podcast. Uh, any other stuff that I should be directing them to? No, that's fine, mate. Direct them to trigonometry. I'm at Francis J. Foster. I'm still look. This is how old I am. Twitter, I'm yes. Follow follow Francis on Twitter. You know, and like Instagram. I don't understand Instagram. I just no, don't, I don't get, get it. Instagram. I don't. I don't, I don't know what people want. <laughs> yeah, you just see someone walking along, going, "Yeah, I'm in Aldi now." You know, buying a banana. You go, "What the fuck am I doing?" Stories. What are you doing? No, I, I don't get Instagram stories. I do. Yeah, not that's understand. what I mean. I'm very, I'm a very linear thinker. So if I think, oh, that's an interesting photo, yeah. I honestly become like my old man and go, here's a little photo, here's a little description of where this photo was taken. You know, like when your family used to have like Folkestone 84 on the back. Yeah. That's yeah. about the level of detail that I'm capable of. And then and then you'll just see one that would just be loads of acronyms that go, yeah, well, this was thick at AF on the yeah. West Coast tip. And you just I, I don't I don't get the stories. I don't yeah. get the stories. So if anyone wants to Dude, give us a tutorial. If you want to give either of us a few, uh, a bit of a tutorial. But then they say stuff like, I mean, like trigonometry is a great example. You film yeah. something great, you stick it up there and people come to it. Yeah. If you did that on Instagram, you'd be putting it up in 15 second fucking clips for the rest of your life. Well, this is it. And it's not only that. It's like, I just went on TikTok. Someone showed me TikTok and I couldn't, I just got angry. Yeah, no, fuck TikTok. I, I, just couldn't, I just couldn't understand it. I just It was just like you just sat down a Neanderthal and gave him an iPhone and went, here you go, mate, have a crack at that. Yeah, TikTok is kind of like an, an idiot, like if an idiot invented YouTube. You yeah. Know? Like just a really mad scientist invented YouTube. But the kids love it. And, you know, what this has been is what most people think is I think it's what most confused uh, sort of pad one gammons yeah. maybe think, you know. We, we, we're getting our gammon stripes and one of the big things is not understanding stuff. Yeah, and then lashing out at it and making broad sweeping generalisations exactly. by basically, and then finishing with like, I just don't fucking like it. I just, I don't like change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I don't. I think the world was fine circa 1998, 99. Everything passed out of, nah, fuck that. Hey, so that was the chat with Francis Foster there. What a brilliant guest he was. If there's anything coming up from that that you want me to uh, discuss or you want to come back on Patreons, of course, I will post it up and you can react in the comments below. Uh, you can always email me at whatmostpeoplethinkuk at gmail.com. I, I tend to look at those a lot more infrequently, but do keep those coming in if there's anything that you want to discuss. And speaking of which, we have a couple of letters just to finish the show. Okay, first letter is from Peter. It says, um, you, recently you talked about something which reminded me of a recent event. You were talking about the kind of people who make the builders a cup of tea or coffee. Right, yeah. So I said that this was a class divide, that middle class people, posh people tend not to make tradesmen uh, or women, guys. Uh, I recently had a bunch of people in to do some plastering and some electrical work. I tried offering them cups of tea and coffee. The wife, the wife, I like this, Peter's old school, the wife, he runs a tight ship. The wife tried giving them some posh biscuits. What, a Viscount? They had none of it. I wondered if this was due to COVID, not wanting to share. Then I realised they all go to Costa for breakfast and lunch. I'm 55 and the workers look to be around late 20s or 30s. Do the kids today have much higher standards? This is a great question, Peter. I mean, I had Nescafe Gold Blend, top of the range in my mind. Always will be, Peter. Let's not act like that as we'll ever finish. Uh, Costa is an exotic treat when I'm on the motorway, going somewhere and feeling flush. I get you. I feel you, Peter. You know, e even the ones from the machines. Uh, so, yeah, is this... Oh, my God, what a tragic line that will be. Have, if builders go hipster and foodie... That would be a sad, sad day. Like, if you're actually feeling really nice, uh, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere. You know what, lads? I'll do you a round of ham sandwiches, and they just look at you and go, um, Steve's vegan, uh, and Dave doesn't, he's off the gluten. And go, are you actually builders or what? what most people think. Okay, this letter is further to, this is from Dan. 
Uh, further to my discussion about Garibaldi biscuits on last week's Sunday brunch, I thought you might be interested to know that the Garibaldi biscuit was named after Giuseppe Garibaldi, who unified the different Italian states into one Italy in the 19th century. He visited South Shields some point before then. Fucking why? I mean, look, South Shields, fucking lovely place. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying why in that period, what, in the 18 fucking hundreds, would somebody called Giuseppe Garibaldi visit fucking South Shields or even... No, I've fucking lost the accent, but I don't fucking care. I only became aware of this after seeing a statue of him in Milan and wondering what came first, the biscuit or the man? <laughs> well, I think the man, definitely. I don't. I mean, like, obviously the man. That's a funny question. Also, the Bourbon biscuit was named after the French royal household, the House of Bourbon. Loving the book, currently reading it on a train, and all of your podcast listeners who haven't bought it yet should definitely buy it, otherwise they're bang out of order. Oh, oh, Dan, I mean, God, I mean, I wouldn't have said that, mate, and in no way would I have just added that onto your letter, but I think you make a fair point. Okay, that is the podcast for this week. We've just got a couple of reviews to read out. We might not have a couple of reviews. I always say that, don't I? It's a bit presumptuous. But what have we got here? Um, if you leave a five-star review on iTunes, I will read it out. Uh, superb. This is from Large Logo. Although I consider myself slightly left of centre, Jeff has always found ways of making me look at things in a slightly different way. He does have a knack of cutting through the nonsense with a clarity that I find helpful these days. That's from Nick. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate that. This is from Neanderthalhead. It says gold. The Matt Ford is one of the very best. Listen to it in the bath, which I sat in until the podcast ended and I nearly froze. And then did you have a little cheeky? Did you? Mm, did Matt's voice and my voice? You just sitting in the bath. We know what happened next, mate. Uh, this is from El Toro. Been listening quite a while now and throughout the lockdowns. Along with this book... These podcasts, he genuinely does mention the book, by the way. That isn't just a product placement. Uh, these podcasts are refreshing, well-written, and genuinely funny. Even the political narrative isn't as biased as one would think. Well, look, I'm trying to just say what I think at any given point, and if some of that skews the other way, then so, so help me God, I will, tell my, I will tell my truth. All in, cricket puns included. Just reminds me of fucking crickets on. Uh, listen, thank you, everybody. Look, on a very simple level, thank you for downloading the podcast. It remains the single most enjoyable thing that I do uh, in comedy. Thank you for the Patreon community, which, let's remember, it started last year as a way of keeping it weekly uh, and ad-free and free from corporate intervention, man. You know, I don't have to have... I don't have to be right wing, left wing or fucking, I don't have to have rainbow flags or anything. I can have any guest I want. I can have Lawrence Fox. I can have Owen Jones. Do you know what I mean? I could have, who could I have? Okay, email in whatmostpeoplethinkuk at gmail.com. You suggest a guest, I'll try and get it. Yeah.